Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have a special guest coming from North Carolina. We got Eric with us today. What's really cool is he's in the lead generation, the underwriting department within his company. These guys have formated together to combine once were competitors, but just a year and a half ago, all linked up within their area and made a unique powerhouse team. And I say unique and, and such a powerhouse because obviously they're doing good, most likely individually all separated in their local area. But together within just a year and a half, they have raised over $10 million in funds, also have a total of approximately about 500 doors, which is very crazy. These guys are in the multifamily scene. They have the systems in place, obviously. And what else is really cool is in the type of tough market that we're in right now for multifamily, because everybody and their grandmother is trying to get more than what their property is actually worth, or there's not enough meat on the bone, right? These guys are underwriting 100 plus deals per month within their team and only submitting LOIs on maybe two to show you the impact of how much due diligence and leads they're really going through to be able to get that golden nugget you know, the needle in the haystack. So I'm excited to have Eric on. Eric, what's going on, man? How you doing today, brother? What's up, Brandon? Thank you for having me, my friend. Yeah, I'm excited, brother. Tell me more about your situation. Tell me who you are for anybody out there that doesn't know a little bit about the business and what you guys are up to. I mentioned a little bit and just touched on it, but I know you guys are doing a lot bigger thing. So for anybody that doesn't know, just feel free to give them a little feedback. Sure. So my name is Eric Shirley. I'm the Director of Acquisitions here at Four Oaks Capital. And in the last 12 to 18 months, we've really come together and, and kind of found our stride. We closed our first deal back in October of 2019. And since then, we've picked up eight assets, just under 500 doors, raised over 10 million in capital. And we're really looking to make 2021, looking to kind of double those numbers and really scale up and continue to implement our systems and procedures to have a phenomenal year. Love it. And so you're local in North Carolina, correct? Correct. Yeah. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Two of my partners, there's four of us total, go figure with the name Four Oaks. But two of my partners are in the Carolinas as well. And then my final partner, he lives in Washington, DC. He's actually a Lieutenant Colonel at the Pentagon, but he's retiring and yeah, he's retiring in August and he'll be headed down this way. Love it. Awesome. So you guys were all separated before, right? So there's four of you guys all in different areas of real estate investing, right? Competitors against each other. And then who came up with this idea to all join up together and just make a powerhouse? Yeah, it's funny. So we all had similar backgrounds. We'd all started in the residential sector and and kind of started cutting our teeth in single family rentals. And we all kind of came into multifamily within a few months of each other and, and really developed the love and passion for it. And we were competing in the same markets and we were sourcing the same deals from the same brokers. And we've run into each other occasionally. And, and really what it came down to was my partner, Brian Briscoe, who's at the Pentagon, he said, listen, this is ridiculous. Like we continue to bid on the same type of properties in the same areas. Instead of bidding up prices and driving prices up and making these deals tighter for each other, 
why don't we try to work together and see if we can take one down together? And we did exactly that. We submitted an LOI together within probably three weeks of that conversation. And while we didn't get that deal, we saw the writing on the wall that, that this had potential and we really enjoyed working together. We saw the different value that each person brought and the different skill sets and figured that from a combined standpoint, we could do a lot more together than we would be able to do on our own. Yeah, that's so good. I love it. So shortly after that, you guys just you know started uniting a little bit more. What does the team look like? I mean, you guys all had individual teams and yeah. now you're all together. So what does that look like? That definitely was probably the hardest part was really figuring out. It was very humbling, to be quite honest, because we had to take a very kind of introspective dive and figure out what were our true strengths and what were our true weaknesses. And no one loves sitting down and saying, this is what I'm not good at. Yeah, but yeah. Through, through doing that, we were able to really kind of put our team together. I head up our acquisitions team, which continues to grow. And, and we've started hiring some employees, which has been fantastic on the underwriting side. We have Brian Briscoe. He handles all of our kind of social media presence. We have a podcast as well. And Brian runs the podcast. We launched that about six months ago. And in the first six months, we crossed the 20,000 download mark. That was something that we were pretty proud of to be able to scale that up quickly. Todd Butler handles all of our asset management. And he kind of takes the lead role on the capital raising front. And then Brian Mallon runs our marketing department. And we call him the director of marketing, but he does so much. He has a great eye for design. So from playground design to signage, he really helps with amenitization of properties. He helps with the interior designs. And so he, he does more than just marketing, but that's technically his role. I love it. So underwriting department, that's where you focus. You focus on the leads coming in and making sure that you guys can take this down with good numbers before you pass it off. Yeah, exactly. So I handle everything from deal sourcing, underwriting, due diligence. Obviously, Todd and I on the asset management side, we work closely on that. Uh, work with the lending side, the legal side, you know, all the fun stuff that goes into what actually makes the deal work. Yeah, to close on the deal, right? So tell me about like your day-to-day. What does that look like from beginning to end roughly, uh, you know, when a deal starts coming to uh, fruition? Sure. So we get, uh, we're underwriting anywhere between 80 and 120 deals a month. So, you know, we have pretty significant deal flow coming in. So uh, we'll, we'll say 20 to 25 deals a week. Where are you yeah. getting your leads from? Yeah, so it primarily from brokers. You know, when we started off, like most folks, when they start off, we were getting the bottom of the barrel opportunities. And so yeah. we were sifting through a lot of things that just did not pencil out well. I feel like that's so, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, no. I feel like it's so important for people that are just getting started to know that as well. Like if you're going to start working with the brokers, they almost always test you, right? They yeah. almost always test you and send you the bottom of the barrel to see if they can, you know, squeeze off something and make a ton off you that, you know, it's hard to get off their books. But once you underwrite it properly, send it back to them. And then they're like, Hey, this guy knows what they're talking about. You know, exactly. Then that's what it's all about. You'll start getting those good leads coming in. Yeah. That's exactly the process we went through, you know, reaching out to dozens and dozens and dozens of brokers. But even before we did that, I spent about six months dedicating myself to the educational side. I read tons of books, you know, listened to hundreds of hours of podcasts. And I was underwriting every deal I could get my hands on and reaching out to folks that I had started to develop these relationships with off of like LinkedIn and whatnot and saying, hey, I've underwritten this deal. I'd love for you to take a look at it. Or, hey, can I meet you for lunch? Can I take you out for a beer? Whatever it was, because I knew once I called these brokers, I had one shot to speak the language and multifamily is a foreign language if, if it's new to you. 
Oh, yeah. And so knowing that these brokers get hundreds of calls a month from folks and everyone wants the same thing, B and C class, value add opportunities that are off market, 100 plus units in strong markets. Yeah. Well, that, there's no incentivization for them to send that to me. They don't know me from a hole in the wall. So certainly educated myself. And then as we started reaching out to these brokers and developing the deal flow and doing exactly what you said, underwriting the deal and within 24 hours, sending some form of response with a snippet of the underwriting saying, this is why this deal doesn't work for me. Here's where we would be coming in at for it to work. I understand that that's an unrealistic price point, but I just wanted you to see our thought process. Yeah, that's Um, so good. And then once we close the first deal, Closing that first deal, the kind of the law of the first deal that Michael Blanc talks about, it's amazing how quickly the momentum comes. And now it went from me begging for people's time to I probably get hit up four to five times a week from brokers all over the country that have seen our closing ratio and know that we're closers. And now they're actively calling saying, hey, I have some great off-market stuff I'd love to send your way. Would you be willing to take a look at it? That's so good. And so you guys are focusing in the Southeast type of area for markets, right? Correct. Yeah. We're super bullish on the Southeast. You know, there's so many metrics that continue to show why that's a hot area, but we are continuing to expand kind of our bandwidth. We're starting to explore the Midwest. There's certain markets that we stay out of. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. We st- we California. California, and there's not even like not landlord friendly states like your yeah. your northeastern states and the west coast states, but even some markets that are just so hot right now that if you don't have an inside presence like Dallas, like the Texas markets and some of yeah. the Florida markets, for exactly. me to come in, yeah, for me to come in and try to compete, I'm gonna end up overpaying for a product that I don't know the market well, and it's just not the right fit for us at this time. Give me some feedback. Give me some of the metrics of why the areas you are looking in in the Southeast. Yeah, so we love the Southeast for many reasons. One of the biggest ones is just the migration of population. There was a study that came out not that long ago. So the IRS actually tracks the migration of money, which I was unaware of at the time. But if you look at the Northeastern states and look at your New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, kind of that triad area, that triangle, I believe it was $18 billion with a B migrated from those four states just to North Carolina in like one calendar year. It was something ridiculous. And so this influx of capital of folks moving down, economic metrics, you know, North and South Carolina still have a very low cost of living relatively to California for sure. Taxation's low. There's a lot of incentivization on the state level with taxes for businesses moving in. So you're getting kind of a ton of manufacturing coming into these states they're starting to develop what's called inland ports. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So an inland port, if you think about it this way, you have all these goods coming in from China, right? And these manufacturing facilities need to warehouse these goods and then manufacture them, transform them into whatever they're making. But the cost to buy coastal property in these port cities and the maintenance and the things that come with being in a port city make it not as desirable. So they're looking for markets maybe two, three hours inland that have phenomenal transportation hubs. They have multiple interstates running through. They're close to major metropolitans. Greenville, South Carolina is a great example of this. BMW, every single SUV that BMW makes is made in Greenville, South Carolina. And the reason for that is South Carolina offered tremendous tax incentives to BMW for the land and, and the facilities. There's a huge labor pool that's willing to work for wages less than those of like California or New York. 
And then you've got all these major interstate systems running through it that lead to Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh, even Nashville. And it's so much cheaper to have their facilities there than in those coastal markets. And so those are the kind of the things that we're looking for, you know, economic drivers as far as rent growth, job creation, cost of living. Another metric that we really like to look at is the cost differential between homeownership and renting. And in a lot of the markets that we're in, we're talking about three to $400 a month for like C-class assets. Well, that's a significant amount of money between homeownership and renting that creates a great demand for rentals. So good. So where are you getting your data for the most part? Because at the end of the day, you guys obviously are hitting the metrics of job growth, population growth, and something unique sure. within the area. How are you getting the data for this stuff to do the data? Yeah, no, it's a great question. We get most of it from the Census Bureau websites. And then a lot of towns actually have pretty detailed, if you go to like the city of Greenville's government website, sure. they have some great statistics trying to bring people into that area and say, hey, this is why this is a great area to live. We actually reached out, gosh, it's been about maybe a year now, to the local university here in Wilmington, University of North Carolina in Wilmington. And we have an intern that works for us who's getting a master's degree in data analytics. So she's been baby. (laughs) Yeah, she's been invaluable. We're actually she's coming on board in a full-time capacity in the next couple of months. But that bringing that on to have someone to take that data and analyze it and be able to create these spreadsheets to look for trends and patterns proved to be just invaluable. Oh, yeah. And to be able to do it faster than... Exactly. (laughs) So that's awesome. That's a huge, huge player to the team, which will be great. It certainly helped us scale. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it's all about. Like, you want to systemize things, make it easier so that you can scale and help out more and obviously just grow the business in general. Um, Absolutely. That's the name of the game, right? So places that I've used in the past was like, for instance, citydata.com, usa.com, bestplaces.net. For example, some of these in certain areas can be outdated or old, you know, the data not as up to date. So I guess in those certain circumstances, you know, try to get the most accurate or up-to-date data as possible. Sure. And I think even taking it a step deeper, you know, nothing's going to substitute boots on the ground because even within some of these strong markets, you have submarkets, and the difference between being in one submarket and the other submarket is drastic. And so, you know, we love to put boots on the ground. We certainly do the Google Earth test and spend a lot of time on Google to find out, especially with the subject properties that we're looking at, where are they located? What are the key economic drivers in that specific submarket? Where are those people going to work? Are we looking at nurses and military? Or are we looking at more of a retail food and beverage type sector? And all of that stuff, I think, goes into the equation, if you will. Sure, of course. Now, how important is it to you to have the boots on the ground? Are, are you doing a lot of due diligence on the area first? And then afterwards, once you guys are very confident, like, hey, this area we would like to start moving forward in, then let's start getting over there or finding people that we can you know, know, like, and trust to act as boots on the ground. Is that the process that you guys go with? And is it mandatory or a must that you guys have boots on the ground, somebody actively living close by a part of the team? Yeah. So living close by, I'll start with the first question, the last question first, but living close by is not imperative. I mean, in this day and age, COVID aside, I can be anywhere within, you know, three or four hours in the farthest markets we're looking at on an airplane. So I think more important than boots on the ground is having the right property management presence 
and really having that confidence in our property management and asset management teams that we're clearly aligned. The business kind of execution plan is clearly in place. And we're big fans of over-communication early on in the process. And once we establish kind of the framework of how things are going to operate, then we can back off that slightly as far as just kind of being a, our PMs give us a hard time because we don't micromanage, but we're very involved in the process early on until kind of we get the property somewhat established with a game plan. Things have changed. So early on, we had like three key markets and that's all we were going to focus on because that's kind of what you have to do when you're getting started. You have to really- Narrow yeah, it down. Yeah. Exactly. The bullseye approach and, and yep. find, find that. Now it's a little bit different because we kind of know the metrics that have kind of been the key drivers in our successes. And like right now, we have a, a property under contract in the Midwest. And we have not been to the Midwest yet, but we will go during the due diligence process. We, we exhausted every resource available to us prior to spending the money to go out there. Of course. That's the secret ingredient, right? Like you, exactly. you really need to put all efforts into this before actually making the commitment to go out there for exactly. the final like checkoff stage, right? And we have several investors that have invested in some of our previous deals that live in this specific market. And so reaching out to them and utilizing their knowledge base, you know, has certainly been been helpful. Good. I love it. Market selection is certainly important, right? There's opportunities to be found in every market. If you want to compete in some of these super hot tier one markets, it's going to look very different than when you delve into the secondary and tertiary markets. And so, you know, we've certainly found some opportunities that have been very, very fruitful for our company and for our investors in markets that are not, you know, some of the ones that you hear on every single podcast that, but we, we put in the extra effort to ensure that we were, you know, making the right decisions in those markets. So let's get back to, you know, the day-to-day with you, what that looks like. As the leads start coming in from the brokers, how many people have their eyes on it within your group of underwriting? Yeah, we have three of us that that really put eyes on it. And then before we go to LOI, you know, our core group that's just underwriting the numbers, right? And then once we find something that pencils out on the first kind of go-round, yeah. Then we start taking our deep dives and we start reaching out to our lending partners and our insurance partners and all of our third parties to kind of confirm our original assumptions yeah. and start tweaking from there. And then we just start peeling back the layers of the onion. So by the time it gets to LOI submission, we've probably had six individual unique sets of eyes on it. And this is a business. This isn't about friendship. So as, as much as we all get along and love each other and we've created, you know, we call it our Four Oaks family created that great family environment, there's no room for ego here. If someone sees something that raises a red flag or creates some trepidation, it's something that we need to discuss and potentially take a deeper deeper dive on that specific number. A great example is insurance right now. You know, insurance costs continue to go up and it's very easy to use numbers that we were using six months ago and those are just not accurate anymore. And so we need to make sure that we're adapting to the marketplace as it continues to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all friendship aside and everything in a happy family and in the workspace is awesome, but it is, you know, everybody's job to be able to challenge each other and say, you know, why is this a good deal? And then look for those reasons of why it's not, you know, and and really, you know, search, search around as hard as you can to find all the, the negative red flags. And if you can't come up with any, then yeah, maybe it's a good deal at the end of the day. So let's, let's submit something. 
I think just to piggyback on that real fast, one of the biggest areas that we have the most conversation around is CapEx budgets and looking at what our capital spend is going to be. And part of that is every market is a little bit different as far as your labor costs and things of that nature. But, you know, it's so important to dial in your CapEx number because the kiss of death in this business is being undercapitalized. But at the same time, if you overinflate your CapEx budget to be safe, you could potentially miss out on a deal because it's going to deflate your investor returns. Yeah. So you got to find that happy medium and not be able to you know, have too much sitting in the bank, but also exactly. you do want to do a value add because that's that's where the, the name of the game is. Let me ask, when it comes down to the value add of increasing, you know, doing the remodel, are you guys leaving some meat on the bone or with potential to potentially, you know, off-sell in the future if an investor came along? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I hate to paint with broad brush strokes because every property is unique and we have every, a strict- yeah. So there's certainly a specific strategy with every single asset that we acquire. But yes, it's certainly one of the big strategies now is the good news is, is our typical hold time is four to six years. When we look at that, obviously, if we can get out sooner or do a cash out refi or whatever's in the best interest of our investors, we'll certainly pursue. But on those same lines, we have to look at a true exit strategy when we're pitching this to an investor group or, or pitching it to our kind of stable of investors. So I would say it's a good question. I think there's times when that strategy makes sense to leave meat on the bone. There's other times where, you know, the plan may be looking, if we think it's an institutional product, not so much. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. With such a hot market, we have people, we've owned one of our assets we bought about six months ago. We've done really well with it. We're on pace to hit our year three projections in our first year. Love it. And we already have people actively coming in, making unsolicited offers. Yeah. And so that's been exciting. But at the same time, you know, everyone's trying to find the needle in the haystack, as you alluded to earlier. So very rarely do those off-market unsolicited offers come in at a price point that makes sense for our investors at this point. Yeah, but yeah, just, you know, as to piggyback on top of that, a lot of people, I don't know if it's, it's just the hot market, right? So less supply and demand. And then also maybe not as many people out there are willing to put in the work that you guys are to find that needle in the haystack. So I've seen a lot of my friends that they're hanging on to their property. They just purchased a year, year and a half ago, and they're already getting full price offers unsolicited that are higher than what their end goal of projecting, you know, cash out in seven to eight years. So they're like, yeah, this is a no brainer. And they're leaving no meat on the bone or whatever it may be, you know? So it's- it's unbelievable the type of hot market that some of us that we're experiencing right now and how quick you can turn these multifamily projects and make a killing. It is. And with how well multifamily as a whole weathered this pandemic and, and continues to weather it much better than I think a lot of folks anticipated, it's just creating further cap rate compression. And there's been such a, especially in the Southeast markets that we deal in, I can only speak to those that I know really, really well there's been such an influx of international money and the prices, I mean, the cap rate compression and the prices folks are willing to pay to put their money into this market because of how well it's handled these situations has been incredible. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this is good, man. I'm excited. You guys are rocking and rolling it and that's that's awesome. So what, what does tomorrow look like for you guys? Like, What are some goals that you're trying to hit this year and accomplish? Yeah, so we did, like I said, just under 500 doors in 2020. We're trying to double that in 2021, 
But, you know, I always feel hesitant to put a number goal on anything because it's not about the amount of units you buy. It's about the quality of the product. And so at the end of the day, you know, that's certainly a lofty goal for us. We're starting to explore anything that we can pay out, uh, meaning anything like construction or property management, anything where we're bringing someone else in, we're starting to take a deep dive on, is this something we could bring in-house for our own benefit, but also be able to make it a profitable endeavor and in turn, you know, manage it on a more Four Oaks level, if you will, and make it our own. And not necessarily do it better, but do it our way, which yeah. we think is better probably. Yeah. But it, um, <laughs> and, and it can be in many ways. It you can know. be. Yeah. And we've already done that. We rolled out a new program called Cashflow Concierge about three months ago. It's basically, you know, we have some high net worth individuals in your neck of the woods on the West Coast that are involved in the tech sector that want to get involved, but, and they like syndications, but they also want to own some things individually and they have the capital to do that. So it's almost like a full service multifamily consulting firm where we source the deal, underwrite it. We do everything that it takes to get the deal. And we're penciling so many deals out each month. The vast majority don't work. We, we submit two offers on a hundred deals, yeah. but there might be three or four of those that are smaller or don't fit our criteria that when we change the structure from an 80-20 split to 100% ownership, they cash flow really, really nicely. We just closed one of these for one of our investors a, a month ago as 12% cash on cash projected return. And he's elated. It's a 40 unit. It didn't make much sense for us from a scalability standpoint, but we were able to figure out a way to make a little money of that for our company yep. while simultaneously placing a really strong product with someone that it's a good fit for. Set them up with almost a turnkey here with multi. That's exactly what it is. Silver spread. That's what we call it, the cash flow concierge. You know, we do all the work and he collects the passive income and he's ecstatic. Now, when it comes down to the, those small amount of doors, how can, you know, every market, every dollar amount's different, right? Every project is unique. Sure. For that particular example, what is his plan for management? Because usually yes. when, when you're dealing with those lower door counts, it, it's hard to be able to truly be able to afford outsourcing good management. You really need to get anywhere from 80 to 100 plus doors to make something work, right? Absolutely. And that's been the challenge in all markets when you have these smaller properties is finding that company. You know, you see more and more residential management companies coming into this space to try to get a piece of that pie because it's so oh, hot. Yeah, yeah of um, course. What we're doing with this Cashflow Concierge project, product that's a little unique is we're sourcing deals in markets that we already have assets. Yeah. So in this case, the product he purchased, the asset that he acquired, is 1.3 miles from a larger asset that we have that has on-site management and on-site maintenance. So he's able to leverage our operational efficiencies. So he's using our office space, he's using our maintenance team, and it does two things. It keeps his costs low. It, he's using a vetted management company that we've done the homework on and they're doing a great job for us. And it, it helps pay our payroll expenses. Yeah. So it's a win-win-win. Win-win. Yeah, I it's, love it's, it. it's been great. Yeah, man, that is powerful. That's an extra creative just way to be able to save costs on your guys and making a win-win situation, which it, that's what it's all about. And if you're already going to spend the time to, you know, due diligence of the leads coming in, might as well make it a win-win and help partner it up with some of the other investors that are trying to branch off and get something of their own kind of separately turnkey status. I love that. Exactly. It's, it's, never it's been a cool journey. <laughs> it's, you know, it was one of those things that we got tired of underwriting so many deals that we were just throwing in the trash. And one day I literally just said, this smaller deal is close. 
It's yeah. close to what we would look for from a syndication front, but it doesn't make sense for us. Let me try changing those splits. Yeah. And as soon as I changed the split and saw what the cash on cash was, I was like, unfortunately, as you know, as a syndicator, and, and until you're on when you're ready to divest, you know, so much of our proceeds on the on the GP side come when we sell. Yeah. And we tie so much of our liquidity up investing in our own deals to meet the KP metrics that Fannie and Freddie require. We don't always have a vast amount of liquidity to buy our own smaller deals. Yeah. And so they were just going to waste. And I was like, this is crazy. There has to be a way to monetize this. Yes. You guys um, create, came up with it. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you. It, it, yeah. It's been, it's been good. The, the young lady that was doing the data analytics for us, yeah. she's going to be coming on in a full-time capacity to run that branch on her own. So it, it's, it's really allowing us to scale as well. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Eric, man, it was a pleasure meeting you. You got a wealth of knowledge. I'm really just excited about the company, what you guys have built thus far. And it's so fresh. It's so new, you know, so really, really excited to see where you guys are at in another year, two, five years, seven years, you know, with all the projects and and the compound that your team is going to effectively put together. It's awesome. I appreciate that, Brandon. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. And how can people get a hold of you, man? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Eric Shirley on LinkedIn. Our website is fouroakscapital.com. You can see it right here over my shoulder. Just slap a .com on it and it's right there. And you can also reach out to me on my cell phone. My number is 803-917-6800 or Eric Shirley at fouroakscapital.com. I'm a huge believer and there were so many people on my journey that were so generous in their time and knowledge and yeah. it really helped me take such great strides in our success. And so any way that we can pay that forward, we're more than happy to do. We, we love working with folks to help them achieve their dreams in the multifamily space. Love it, man. Well, there's so many other questions I would love to ask you. Not enough time, but, you know, we, we could dive into so many different avenues like, you know, property management probably for a full hour. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, we would love to have you back in the future. A wealth of knowledge from you. And like I said, just super excited to see where you guys are heading. Definitely want to follow that process along the way. So I appreciate you for jumping on and giving an hour of your time. Anything that myself or the listeners could do to give back to you? Uh, no, just, you know, check us out on, on the social media platforms. You know, keep an eye on what we're doing. We do have a podcast called Diary of an Apartment Investor, where we take an experienced syndicator and pair them with someone that's just getting started and allow the new person to really run the interview and ask all the questions that they have. And it's, it's really been kind of a cool, we've actually had several deals that have gotten done where those people ended up partnering up and uh, took down deals together. So it's, it's a cool, cool way, but no, I appreciate your time and allowing me to share a little bit of my knowledge and, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Likewise. Well, guys, you definitely want to reach out to Eric and as always just connect with him. He's got a ton more content for you. So make that connection. If you want to reach out to me, you can always do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, on Facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you guys need any help in regards to do it for you services of credit repair, then we have creditrepairmobile.com. And then also for in general credit education, if you're looking to get big funding for your credit, fix your credit, get big funding for it, personal or business, and be able to put it to work into things like purchasing real estate with credit or uh, completing all your remodels or doing hard money lending like we have with credit, then you want to check out creditcounselelite.com. As always, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the newest notification 
for the new podcast next Monday. We will see you then. And after listening to a few episodes, leave a review. Let us know what you guys think about it. We'd love your feedback tremendously. It means a lot. You know, share this out and check us out on YouTube as well, Brandon Elliott Investments. We will see you on the next episode. Till then, God bless. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Brandon. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.